0: So this is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOSDiva.com. And welcome to another interview in our expert series, Interviews. And I am just so thrilled and honored to have Dr. Victoria Mazes with us today. I'm a big fan of Dr. Mazes, and uh, I have both of her books on a very prominent spot on my shelf. Uh, she is the co-author of Integrative Woman's Health and also Be Fruitful, The Essential Guide to Maximizing Fertility and Giving Birth to a Healthy Child, which I recommend to all of my clients who are trying to conceive. Just to tell you a little bit more about Dr. Mazes, she is the Executive Director of the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine and is a professor of medicine family medicine and public health at the University of Arizona. She's an internationally recognized leader in integrative medicine. She's committed to helping individuals live healthier lives in pioneering change efforts that solve U.S. healthcare system problems. Together with her team at the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine, she created and implemented national education programs that have reached thousands of physicians, nurses, and other health professionals. She's developed an innovative integrative primary care clinical model, and she's carrying out research to assess the clinical and cost effectiveness of integrative care. So welcome To our podcast, Dr. Mazes.
1: Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here with you.
0: So, why don't you um, give our listeners a little education about what um, integrative medicine is? I think a lot of um, women with PCOS certainly are seeing conventional doctors, OBGYNs, reproductive endocrinologists. and uh, gynecologists, um, dermatologists—you know—they kind of have a whole series of um, people on their healthcare team. But what makes integrative medicine different, and how can you um, find an integrative doctor?
1: So, uh, terrific question to start with. Um, a lot of people confuse. Integrative medicine with alternative medicine. And in a sense, that's what it's not. It is wonderful to have a variety of people on your healthcare team. And, and sometimes, as you mentioned, women who have PCOS need a variety of, uh, team members to help them be healthy. Integrative medicine is, is really the thoughtful synthesis of the best of Western conventional medicine with other systems of medicine. So we do include, when it's appropriate, traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurveda. We pay a lot of attention to lifestyle, so the nutritional influences on health, the mind-body connection, spirituality and, and its relevance, physical activity, environmental chemicals. Uh, we pay a lot of attention to the, the doctor-patient or the provider-patient relationship. Um, And, um, you know, we really believe that there are two experts in the room. There is the patient who is expert by virtue of having lived however long she's lived in that body and having a sense of intuition, uh, what is going to work, having a, a... A history of what has worked and what hasn't in the past, having a set of preferences about, you know, how natural or how uh, invasive, how aggressive or you know how slowly she might want to be treated. Um, There are her uh, beliefs about the pros and cons. All of that gets taken into account in an integrative medicine visit. And you asked how to access uh integrative medicine providers at our center as you mentioned uh, we have a very large training program uh, the largest in the world actually and uh the graduates who wish to be listed are listed on our website uh which is uh, uh azcim.org so the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine uh initials uh .org
0: that that's great you know what an, a refreshing approach to treating patients, um, I know that really that that whole description just felt so good to me, um, and and I know that it would real it will really resonate with a lot of um, my listeners. So I'm going to absolutely post that at the bottom of the interview. So if anybody's interested in exploring um, finding a functional um, medicine uh, doctor that's trained um, at uh, the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine. I will post that below so you can um, take a look at it. So I want to talk a little bit more about your fabulous book, Be Fruitful. And uh, I I bought this, gosh, about a year ago, and I can tell you it's um, very well-worn because I'm referring to it often. And I really loved your approach that it's – being fruitful and maximizing your fertility is really so much more than just getting a prescription of Clomid, which you know, I think a lot of women with PCOS um, have pro- probably have had have been on Clomid. So why don't you just kind of give us an overview of your approach to writing this book and what? Um, you know what? What are some of the key things that you are trying to get across to to women who are embarking on a fertility journey?
1: Great. So. Um... I uh, have uh, been in medical practice for 33 years, and I've spent a lot of my time in practice taking care of women. And I was noticing in my practice in uh, integrative medicine at the University of Arizona, I was having more and more women coming in and asking about uh, fertility, and um, both because they were having trouble but also uh, because they wanted to do all they could to be as healthy as possible. And um, one of the things that uh, I'm passionate about and is a major part of integrative medicine is health promotion. And it's clear to me that if we're going to talk about health promotion and we're going to talk about prevention, we actually have to begin before a even conceived. And that's because uh, we know now, and and, uh, Dr. David Barker's work points this out, that the experience in the womb sets us up for a lifetime of better or worse health. So I know your listeners are of course concerned with conception and getting pregnant and having a viable pregnancy, but of course in the larger scheme they're very concerned with having a healthy baby. And to have a healthy baby, we have to be healthy before we conceive. Um, There's a lot of things, sadly, that set us up in our society for poor health. Uh, We live in a society where the least healthy food is the most affordable food and the most convenient food. We live in a society that is filled with chemicals, mostly uh, chemicals that haven't been tested to see what their impact is on our health, and this is getting back to that experience in the womb. The fetal origins hypothesis basically says that If you're exposed to some of these chemicals in the womb, they actually change your wiring. They can increase your risk of having a lifetime of poorer health, things like ADHD or autism or diabetes or even later in life cancer or Parkinson's, neurodegenerative diseases. So being healthy before you conceive not only helps you conceive more easily, it also helps to up the odds, it helps you to do all that you possibly can to have a healthier baby. And so given my concerns about health promotion, I was eager to to give ri- women a roadmap. What can you do from the perspective of your diet, your mind-body practices, um, your appropriate vitamins and supplements? How can you reduce environmental chemicals that you may be getting exposed to in your home or at your work? Um, And uh, even, you know, what's the right amount of exercise? Um, How does spirituality factor in? So all of the aspects we Mm -hmm. think about in integrative medicine can actually be brought to bear of this uh, central question of how do we uh, do everything within our power to increase the likelihood of having a healthy baby.
0: Mm. You know, I love that you bring up, and I call it sort of these primary food areas. It's the, what feeds us on a, a deeper level that, that food never can, like spirituality, like relationships. Um, you know, these are the things that um, holistically really bring balance and, and health. Um, and it is so much more than just, I tell my, my clients, it's more than just going on a low-carb diet and killing yourself at the gym. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. In fact, you know, from the mystical perspective, it's said that you need three partners to create a new human life. You need uh, the female partner, the male partner, and you need God's presence. And, Uh. you know, this is something that we we have to pay attention to because... We actually um in conventional medicine, and again i i'm you know uh someone who completely values what conventional medicine can bring to the table. I think in vitro fertilization can be miraculous for couples who might never have been able to conceive um, a child. Um, having said that, in vitro fertilization can bring people to uh an embryo, a multi celled potentiality uh, life is not that embryo right it is something else that is beyond our understanding and so i think that holding that awareness that what we do is we create of ourselves as you know healthy and as prepared a vessel for creating a new life as we possibly can and then we kind of open to that. There is a mystery, and it's not mm-hmm. all under our control. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I often find um, that it's in that place of surrender. And I really, when I'm working with a client who's trying to conceive, sometimes it's just really healthy to just take a little time off and just, <laughs> and just surrender. And I think stress plays a part in that. And I know I suffered from... Um, infertility related to PCOS, and uh, it probably, through that, that infertility process, was one of the most stress-filled times of my life, and I love in your, that in your book, um, there's a really a main section that you devote to explaining the physiology of stress and how that impacts reproductive hormones. And, and then you go on to give some really wonderful um, ways to help your body to relax and elicit that relaxation response. So I was hoping that you could kind of give us a little bit of an overview about um, how stress is impacting our fertility uh, and then maybe giving us some of your, your favorite um, ways to relax.
1: I would be delighted. Um, So, um, you know, you mentioned it being perhaps the most stressful point in your life. And actually, there are studies that show that being told that one is infertile ranks up there as a stress producer with being told that you have cancer or even Um. HIV. So this is incredibly stressful for women and men alike, Uh, sometimes um, men and women deal with this differently, but but it is incredibly stressful, and unlike some things, it's often held in isolation. You know, often people don't share with others that they're going through this incredibly difficult trial, and um, and and that isolation makes it harder to bear. And often people are surrounded by others in their um, age group, you know, in their circle of friends who are having babies and and so there 's this regular confrontation with what 's not happening and and so um the stress and you know the sadness and the the challenge uh is all there um, having said that, life gives us stress, and I think it always has so the question is not, are we going to experience stress? The question is, how skillful can we become at managing that stress? And in our Western society, we don't typically teach people a lot of tools to manage stress. So when I sit across from one of my patients and I say, tell me about you know, what are sources of stress in your life? And they tell me. And then I say, you know, and, and how do you manage that? And, and often it's something like, well, I watch TV uh, or I go shopping. Um, and it's much less often I meditate or I do yoga. <laughs> and I am not, you know, anti-TV or shopping. Uh, those can be pleasant pastimes. But they don't activate our nervous system in a way of neutralizing or reversing uh, the stress response. So I think it's really important for people to have a variety of practices. Um, There's another thing, and that's that when we uh, think about um, stress and that getting a diagnosis of infertility is stressful, we, we have to be aware that this actually has a direct physiological effect on our hormones and what happens is that from a a big perspective our body basically goes into survival mode and the body says this is the time to focus on surviving and that is exactly the wrong time that we would easily be able to conceive uh, reproduction is a luxury in that sense of a, a human organism or you know an animal or whatever that is safe enough and has enough uh, abundance of um, food of fresh air of physical activity of whatever it needs to be healthy that 's when reproduction happens it doesn 't happen during those times of really high stress so um, our body has systems, um, the, the brain gets signals that the body's under stress and then the hypothalamus and the pituitary send signals to the ovary or in men to the testes that basically say shut down, shut down production because this is the wrong time for conception, this would not be the time to sort of squander resources because that baby wouldn't survive. So that's a little bit of, you know, at a high level, the, the physiology of what occurs. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of like if you're running from the proverbial tiger. Um, and, and, and I think that, um, you know, our brains haven't changed all that much from, you know, thousands of years ago when we were... Um, you know, running from the wild beast, that it's still, you know, a tra- like a traffic jam can kind of elicit that same response. You know, your body is going to shut down, and um, you're, it's going to be harder for you to become pregnant when you're under that kind of a threat.
1: That's exactly right. Mm. And um, um, while we aren't normally chased by tigers anymore, uh, we have lots of things that provoke that stress response in us, so it could be traffic, it could be a bad day at the office uh, it could be um, you know a fight with someone we're we 're close to. And we're actually so good at activating that side of our nervous system, what's called the sympathetic nervous system, the, the stress response, fight or flight, all of these names for it. What we're less good at is activating the opposite side, the calming side of the nervous mm-hmm. system, which is also called the parasympathetic nervous system. And so... What we can do is we can't eliminate all the stressors in our life, but we can change our response to them by learning and by really developing these practices that regulate the parasympathetic nervous system, that quieting side of the nervous system. So
0: why don't you share some of your favorite um, techniques? I know I have a few that I'm curious <laughs>
1: uh-huh. that
0: if they're sort of in your list, and, and if not, I'll, I'll share a couple of mine as well.
1: Great. So I always think it's good to start with the breath. You know, the yeah. breath is free. It's always with us. We can learn breathing techniques pretty easily. We don't need any special equipment to do it. Um, We can do it in really short little segments. So, for example, if you know you're going into a meeting that's going to be quite stressful you can you can do this to activate the quieting part of your nervous system right before uh, or right after and so um i i'm just a big fan of um breathing and in fact in most of the different mind body practices Um, having your breath get slower and deeper and more regular is a part of almost every practice. So, for example, yoga could be considered a mind-body practice. And in yoga, most yoga teachers will remind you to breathe and remind you to quiet your breath, and sometimes they'll teach you particular breathing practices like Nadi Shodhana or alternate nostril breathing. Mm -hmm. So... At the very basic level, to do this uh, slower, uh, more regular, deeper breathing, we're doing something called diaphragmatic breathing, where we're taking deep belly breaths. And one really simple way to do this is um, put your hand on your belly and notice that when you breathe in, your belly expands. And when you exhale, your belly falls back. And you can just simply sit with your hand on your belly for 30 seconds and notice that belly expanding and then falling back. And you can exaggerate. And by exaggerating that inhalation so that your hand moves really far out, you're taking a nice deep belly breath. You can do this lying down. And you could even, you know, put a book on your belly. And again, watch it rise as you inhale and watch it fall back as you exhale so that's the simplest kind of um, breathing exercise of all once you get that sense of um, taking that deep diaphragmatic breath you can uh, do a variety of other kinds of practices so uh, a favorite um, breathing practice that I teach almost all the patients who come to my clinic is called the 4 seven, 8 breath. And this is uh, from yogic breathing or pranayama. And what you do is um, you inhale through your nose to the count of four, and you hold your breath To the count of seven and then you exhale slowly through your mouth to the count of eight so that's why it's four seven eight and you do this four times while you're doing it your tongue is resting on a little ridge behind your upper front teeth and um, it means therefore when you exhale with your mouth open it's going to make a whooshing sound like this (sighs) It's going to be a noisy, audible exhale because of the air coming around your tongue. So four in through your nose, hold to seven, and then exhale to eight, and do it the four times. And this is on my website, and I actually have a demonstration of Dr. Andrew Weil, who I learned this from, um, demonstrating it. The reason this is so helpful is that it extends that exhalation, which helps activate the parasympathetic nervous system, and it's just a great technique. And then the last breathing technique I want to mention is um, one that I learned from a a Vietnamese Buddhist teacher and poet, Thich Nhat Hanh. And I think this is so beautiful, especially for women who are struggling with PCOS, because um, you know, sometimes when our body isn't uh, behaving as we would like, we can get down on our bodies. You know, we can be, oh, why can't I, and then fill in the blank. And, you know, in all different ways, we can be self-critical and negative. So Thich Han has this very simple, very beautiful uh, breathing meditation. He has you sit quietly, start to notice your breathing. And again, you could use that diaphragmatic deep belly breath I shared with you before. And then he has you recite in your head, in sync with your breathing. Breathing in, I notice my body. Breathing out, I smile at my body. Mm. And Thich Nhat Hanh says that the quality of the smile should be that of a mother smiling at her newborn baby, so that absolute, loving, unconditionally Mm -hmm. adoring uh, point of view that we hold for our baby, but don't always hold for ourselves. And so what a beautiful, gentle, kind, generous way to hold your body, especially if on some level you're wrestling with it. I'm interested oh, in hearing so some scary. of yours.
0: Yeah, you know, I really love that, and that um, that that sense of self-love, that essence of self-love, um, is something that I really believe is at the core of healing your PCOS. Um, so, I love that practice because I think that really um, helps women to get in touch with appreciating and loving their bodies, because it's it's hard when um, they're not, you know, your body's not doing what you want it to do. And I think a lot of times women um, with PCOS are in this place of, I call it diet deprivation and denial, and they're kind mm-hmm. of in this place of punishing themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning to, to shift that paradigm and, you know, smile, breathing out, I smile and love my body. It's Gosh, that's just really beautiful. Um, and I think what um, modality I really like is the emotional freedom technique, ESP, or, or tapping. Uh, and I will put a link to an article that I wrote about it uh, below this this interview as well. Um, and I think what's really neat about tapping is that you're, you're actually tapping with your fingers. And like the breathing, I mean, this can be done anywhere. It's free um, and, and easy to do. And when you're tapping on these energy um, meridians or acupressure points, it's actually been pr- um, proven, and science supports it, that the stimulation of these acupressure points decreases the activity in the amygdala Um, part of your brain, or that kind of fight or um, flight response. And it sort of reprograms that response. And while you're doing the tapping, you're kind of saying to yourself, you know, although um, I'm really stressed about whatever that stressor is, you know, my, my infertility, I completely love and accept myself. So you're also giving yourself that that affirming statement, which I think is really powerful. And it kind of can sound, you know, the, the whole process can sound a little out there if you've just heard about it, but I promise you, if you practice it, you'll, it really will change your life. The other thing that um, I like, and it kind of builds upon that um, really deep breathing pr- pranayama, yoga, yogi breath. Um, is using a, um, a biofeedback device. And the, they, they are a little bit pricey. I know I bought mine for about $100 last year through um, HeartMath. It's called Inner Balance, and it connects with your iPhone, and it actually um, tracks your, your heart rate variability. And your heart rate is always changing, and you can sync your heart rate with your breath and slowing your breath into sort of this relaxing state, which they um, it's called coherence. So it's where your heart rate variability becomes less erratic, in concord with the with that relaxed breath and a more relaxed emotional state. And that has really changed um, changed the way my relaxation response, um, and has really helped me become um, more calm, I have less anxiety, and anxiety is something that a lot of women with PCOS deal with. Um, and it just has really increased um, my quality of life. So those, those are sort of my two um,
1: I think those uh, are both fabulous tools. And um, just to say another word about the biofeedback, you know, some people want evidence. You know they really want feedback that's why it's called biofeedback mm-hmm. uh, that they're making a difference and so uh, the heart math tool can be a wonderful tool uh, as you described you know you get that information that you're in that zone of coherence that uh, you are indeed impacting your nervous system with the practice um and and the thing that I want to say about mind body practices is. is this is not a one-size-fits-all, that there are so many different ways to tone your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, There are very quiet ways like meditation, and meditation can be a wonderful way to do this. But you get people who say, I can't meditate, I tried, I can't sit still, Mm -hmm. and and they just feel um, like they're failing. Um, so why direct them to to that? Um, some people do better with a guided meditation, and there's guided imagery, including some beautiful guided imagery to help with fertility. Uh, Bell Ruth Napperstack is one person who has guided imagery uh, tapes, very inexpensive. Uh, you could load it onto your iPhone or other smartphone and listen. Steve Gergovich is another uh, person who's long-trained in clinical hypnosis who has a, a guided imagery uh, tape for um, for fertility. Um, people who want more active forms, you know, they're not the sit-still kind of person, can also find practices to help them tone their autonomic nervous system. For example, proge- progressive muscle relaxation, also free, um, doesn't take very much time, and it's a systematic way of... Tensing and then relaxing the muscles, and ultimately tensing the entire body all at once and fully relaxing it. And so um, I I describe a little bit how to do this in Be Fruitful, but there's many other resources as well to figure out how to do it. Yoga. Yoga. Um, can be a wonderful active form of mind body. Often people come to yoga class, it's obviously guided, there's a teacher. It's good to tell your teacher if you're focused on fertility because there are some different poses you do in the first half of the cycle from uh, that are different from the second half where you may be in an early pregnancy. But um that also can be a wonderful, active practice where you come in with that busy mind, and by the time you 're done you 're sort of single pointed and you find yourself in the last pose, the shavasana pose in this deep relaxation. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people like more cognitive approaches where they really wrestle with their mind. You know, they, they ask themselves questions like, okay, there's that thought coming up again, I can't get pregnant, for example. Well, does that thought contribute to my stress? Oh, yes, it does. You know, where did I learn it? You know, is it even true? Do I even believe it at this point? You know, mm. who put that thought in my head? Oh, yes, I went to that one doctor who said, you have PCOS, you're going to have trouble conceiving. Well, doctors are fallible. You know, we make mistakes all the time. Um, you know, is the thought true? Well, oh, you know. I love that. Because you can wrestle with your own mind in this oh. structured way and, mm. and find out that many of the things we tell each- ourselves have no basis in fact.
0: Yeah, I, I think that is it true, and I, and I, I love the work um, by Byron Katie. Yes, she does one this of the
1: work. Co- mm-hmm.
0: Yes, and is it true? It, it's so important. And um, I know I was told um, when I was 18 in a Fairfield University clinic that I would never have children. Wow. <laughs> and, and you have and three, I, right? Yes, and I have three. <laughs> but for me, that was not, that yeah. was not never my truth. And I think if I let that be, I'd probably be in a very different place. So I think I, I love what you say about know, questioning those limiting beliefs in your life with that wonderful question, is it true? Um, and, and I also want to link to, um, and we'll have it underneath this podcast, the demonstration um, on that 478 breath, and if you, and also the the link to um, where you can get more information on the guided imagery for fertility.
1: Yes, so um, I know you have a wonderful website with lots of information. I, I also put on my website uh, information and some links to these mind-body practices. So that's victoriamazesmd.com, and there is a, a page about mind-body practices with lots of links to guided imagery and right. to 4 seven, 8 breath and all of these other things that are either free or very inexpensive tools that we all can use.
0: Great. Well, we will we will definitely post that. Um, in the the beginning of the interview, when you were talking about what integrative medicine is, you talked about um, how integrative medicine brings in those Eastern philosophies, and um, you have wonderful chapters in your book about Ayurveda and uh, Chinese medicine. I was just wondering if you could just kind of briefly. Give our listeners um, kind of an over a quick overview about what Chinese medicine and what Ayurveda is, and um, you know, maybe how how that can help with fertility.
1: Yeah, so um, be happy to. Traditional Chinese medicine uh, is more than just acupuncture, but sometimes it gets conflated with acupuncture. So traditional Chinese medicine is a whole system. In other words, it pays attention also to uh, stress levels and to the diet a woman is eating and how physically active she is. Um, and it has its own way of thinking about a woman's health, and we've heard some of these terms like yin and yang and qi, and, and so there's this very complex way that it sees women and women's bodies. Uh, one of my teachers, um, a Chinese medicine doctor named Qing Kai Zhang said that uh, in traditional Chinese medicine, the whole purpose of medicine can be summed up in just a few words, to dispel evil and support the good. I love that. I think Western medicine focuses almost entirely on dispelling evil and it can be incredibly helpful as as we've talked about, but we also want to support the good. So in Chinese medicine, often the metaphor of a garden is used and we think about all we need to have a healthy plant grow in the garden. The soil needs attention, it needs water, but not too much water it needs the right balance of nutrients so nitrogen and other fertilizers you may have to prune sometimes you know we think how could we prune something away but sometimes that's what leads to a healthier plant Um, if we plant something too early in a season, frost can come and kill it, if we plant it too late, it could be too hot and and miss the growing season. So those ideas are all part of supporting the good, and in this sense, supporting a healthy pregnancy. And um, if you go to see someone who practices traditional Chinese medicine, they'll ask you a different set of questions, they'll examine you in a different way, they'll feel your pulses in both wrists, and they'll look at your tongue, and they may feel your belly. And then they'll do things that are different from what we do, whether it's uh, using Chinese herbs or acupuncture or moxibustion, which is uh, using a heated herb on certain acupuncture points. Um, they have a different strategy of, ch- of treating, but the Overall philosophy is to bring the body into better balance, so that it can do what's natural. And mm-hmm. what's natural in this sense is to conceive and carry a baby. Um, I am a, a very big fan of traditional Chinese medicine, and where I live in Tucson, Arizona, I have uh, been fortunate to work with a number of different, very skillful. Uh, Chinese medicine practitioners, and I find that when someone's wrestling, and I would include this uh, to be women who have PCOS, that the traditional Chinese medicine provider can be so helpful in helping to restore that overall balance that can help with conception. Um, Ayurveda um, is um, often known as the traditional medicine of India. And um, it is less well known in the United States, and we have um, not actually recognized it with um, national certifying boards. And so you have to ask a lot more questions about how someone got their training in Ayurveda, whether they went to one of the few schools in the U.S. or whether they they studied in India. But again, they they look at people as um, um, being um, whole and thinking in very different ways about what their health is consistent of and what the practices they're doing. So what is the diet, you know, what are the things that are building up um uh, decay in the body and, and how could we eliminate it? What type are you? Are you a, a, a vata or a kapha or a pitta? Are you eating the appropriate diet um, for your type? Um, how are your menstrual periods going? Are they really light and infrequent? Are they heavy? And depending on what that menstrual period looks like, they're going to recommend very different practices. So I think Ayurveda, which um, I have to say, you know, living in Arizona, I've had less opportunity to work closely with practitioners of Ayurveda, and yet there are long-standing historic traditions. There are Herbs like Shatvari that are traditionally used, there are meditations that are often recommended, there are healing ceremonies, and so we should be aware that these resources can be available to us as we uh, wrestle with that greater difficulty in conceiving.
0: Mm. You know, I, I love that you gave us so many concrete ways to um, really help impact our fertility. I think. It often can feel so out of our control and we kind of feel helpless um, and these are really some concrete ways that we can make a difference and bring more balance into into our life and um, and help our fertility i I'm so pleased that you were able to join us and share your your knowledge and um, I really want to um, I really want to encourage women to, who are trying to conceive to absolutely pick up a copy of your book, Be Fruitful, and um, I really think it's one of the best fertility books out there. And also your Integrative Women's Health, I mean, it's more of a textbook, but boy, if you enjoy health um, and wellness and want to have a, a reference for your library, it's really a fantastic book. Um, I do
1: have to just say full disclosure about the Integrative Women's Health, the textbook. Um, it is written for health professionals, and, of course, anyone can, can read it. Um, but there is a second edition coming out uh, probably in September if it doesn't oh, okay. get delayed. And in that one, there will be a chapter that I wrote about fertility. So um, if you don't own the book, maybe wait for the second edition because it's all updated, and there are some wonderful new chapters, including a new chapter on PCOS.
0: Oh, great! Good to know. Well, yeah, <laughs> I always I always like to ask um, the experts that come on to my podcast to leave us with a, a message of hope. I, I know women with PCOS often um, just feel like it, it's it's so overwhelming. You know, it's this chronic condition that um, isn't uh, it's going to be with them over a lifetime, and. In terms of how it relates to fertility, um, leave us on a hopeful note.
1: Well, um, I have to say that in my practice, um, I I have seen many women with PCOS successfully conceive and bear healthy children. And so um, I I think that uh, that is certainly um, possible. And we have to remember that, you know, statistics are just statistics. There's you, and there's all of the things that you're doing to make yourself as healthy as possible, uh, whether it's diet, whether it's taking their appropriate um, vitamins um, and nutrients, avoiding the environmental chemicals. We didn't talk about that, but, of Mm -hmm. course, some of those are driving uh, PCOS and seeing more PCOS, so eliminating as many as you can from your overall, um, thinking about um, what else you could add, whether it's the stress reduction practices we talked about today to tone your nervous system, whether it's uh, traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, not being afraid of conventional medicine, it can be very helpful in PCOS, and certainly uh, can play a central role. And I, I just um, want to leave, as you said, with that message of um, that it is um, obviously possible. And uh, uh, I wish all of you uh, the blessing of fertility and of an easy conception and of a healthy baby.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us and. Thank you all for listening, and until next time, this is Amy. Bye-bye.